Greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and I'm your host, Etienne McClintock. By the Word of Their Testimony is based on a text found in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, where we read, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Today in the studio, I have a special guest, D. Casper. D. welcome. Thank you. It's very nice to have you in the in the studio, and I'm looking forward to hearing your testimony. Now, dear listener, this program is actually not scripted. It's not something that uh, we we uh, actually write and then structure. We allow the Holy Spirit to lead, where people give their account and how providence has led them in their lives and how they encounter Christ for the first time and how God has stepped into their lives to transform and change it. And, you know, you can't argue with a changed life. And that is the uh, the purpose of this program. Now, D, you're a, a young man I've just met only about a half hour ago. Yeah. So it's my pleasure to have you here and to for you to share your story. You gave me just a little brief beforehand of you know your background and so on. But perhaps you can tell us what you're currently doing. Sure. So I work for Unseen Media Group, U-N-S-C-E-N-E, like a movie scene. Okay. And we're a media ministry. Uh, We're located actually right next to 3ABN, uh, next to the original Miracle Studio. We're on Miracle Lane. Right. And we create media content to reach young people that's Christ-centered, that's modern and relevant and Mm. principled. And we also have a training program where we're training people to do filmmaking and soul winning together. So I went to a soul winning school. It's very similar to that. Um, But we're also training them in film and media, new media, how to do social media, how to make short films, documentary, testimony videos, devotional videos, things like that. So that's what our ministry does. And so I'm the evangelism director. Wow, that's that's fantastic. And I mean, it's such an important uh, outlet at the moment and, and source of information for a lot of people, you know, especially young people. Yes. Now, social media is the big buzz at the moment. And if you want to reach people, you need, need to know and have the skills to be able to um, to put content on there that will uh, prick their interest and then also obviously share the love of Christ with these people. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's the modern school of Tyrannus, I say, in Acts okay. chapter 19. It's a place where people are hanging out, killing time, and open to new ideas. Mm. And uh, Paul took advantage of that, and he reasoned in that synagogue for, for he reasoned there for two years, and it says that all the province of Asia heard the word of the, heard the, word of the Lord. Yes. Um, it was because he stayed in one place, but people heard, they shared. Other people heard, they shared, and it went viral. Yeah, fantastic. Well, praise God for that. And I'm, I'm glad that there's someone that's actually taking some time out to train some young people and uh, to give them the skills to actually Absolutely. use those tools effectively for God. Yes. Because they can be used for so many other things as well, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps we can just step back and you can just give us a little bit of your background, where you were born sure. and the influences in your life at a young age. You bet. So I was born about 45 minutes from where 3ABN is located in southern Illinois, okay. and I lived for 21 years of my life, about a half hour from southern Illinois, um, in that, that general area. My parents were divorced when I was about three or four, mm. and I 
my mom um, had been married once before and had a child with her first husband, but my dad was a caretaker for my great-grandfather who had Alzheimer's. And being newlyweds in an environment that's very, very stressful and difficult, Mm. let alone my mom had some upbringing issues, uh, some some mother issues. Her biological mother basically abandoned her uh, once the parents got divorced. And then the person that my grandfather married after that, uh, adopted my mom to be her legal mother, but never fully treated her like she was her daughter. So mom had a lot of vacancies in her life that Mm. she was running to relationships to fill. And if she wasn't finding what she was looking for, she would just move on. And so she eventually divorced my dad. The guy she married after dad uh, beat her up really bad. And when I was about five, I wasn't there, thankfully, and dad got custody, thankfully, and he would say the same, and so would she. Mm. And they... My grandfather, my dad's dad, lived just two miles, I think, from where she was at her, you know, government housing. And he dropped me off. Mom opens the door. She's purple. She's swollen. She's not the person I know. And my grandfather wasn't stupid. He went home and called the police immediately. The guy went into prison for like 10 years. But uh, it certainly the first trauma in my life was my parents getting divorced. But Mm. soon after that, this happening uh, just really set me on a, on a trajectory of, of difficulty for my life. Sure. Um, you know, some some strongholds and things came into my experience early on as a five-year-old where I, mean, I was stealing at the age of five. I was lying all the time at the age of five. Mm. And it's only been recently that I've fully figured out all of what transpired and why. I always told people for years it never bothered me because I never cried myself to sleep. Yes. But what I was doing was actually numbing pain I was feeling in my life by trying to be in control uh-huh. because I was protecting myself by being – so if I steal, I, I'm in control. I can take what I want and do what I want. And if I lie all the time, then I control the narrative. I control what happens. I was trying to protect myself is yes. what I was doing, and I was running to things to numb the pain I was feeling in my life. Mm. My mom's cousin was watching all these scary movies, you know, Freddy Krueger and Alien and all this stuff as a young kid. So mm. my, the devil just really set me up. Up for a lot of fear and um, inadequacies and, and, and rejection and so on that just I was dealing with throughout most of my life. Um, she got married again and again and again. She actually has been married and divorced seven times. Okay. Uh, the seventh divorce, I think, was around 2013, 2012, I think about 2013. And so anyway, a lot of instability when I would go visit mom. Mm. She's, she's got all these relationships with different men. You know, it just wasn't a healthy influence for me to be around. And my dad was working. You know, he had custody, but he was working. So I didn't have a lot of supervision. So when you're a young kid who's had a lot of their innocence stolen and you have no supervision, it just grows. You know, you mm. just I did whatever came into my head without thinking twice wow. and grew up in, a, in an area where – we had like an hour-long bus ride out in the country, and kids just did a lot of stupid stuff there too. And it just was just set up for a lot of not goodness. Um, mm. <laughs> if that's even good grammar. So that sure. that was my experience uh, growing up, and all the way into my teens. Mm. Um, in 9-11, my dad – my dad was always a moral person. I never doubted his love for me. I never yes. had any issues in that sense. Uh, we grew up with sports and, and those types of things. And my dad's dad – we weren't attending church. My dad's dad uh, left the family business of, of doing fruit orchards and, and, and agriculture, went into the military, into, North, into Korea, and then eventually went into um, 
selling insurance and stocks and stuff and just making lots of money. Mm. And with money and political influence and things, that was kind of the trajectory of the life and the example that he gave to my dad and his sister of it's about the influence you have. It's about politics and, you know, having the right car. And so my dad, the humble, godly upbringing that his grandparents were living kind of got lost in that pursuit of money and influence. And so dad was a moral person, would claim to be a Christian, as would I, but we weren't attending church, you mm-hmm. know, and he had a good Christian influence from his grandparents, and that was something that he always could, could have in the back of his mind. But um, 9-11 occurred uh, September 11, 2001 uh, in New York City, whenever the Twin Towers event happened. It was one of those mic drop moments in my dad's experience where he realized he wasn't ready to meet his Lord. Mm. Just hit him like a ton of bricks. And I had no idea. I was just a lost teenager pursuing the world. And I claimed to be a Christian. Uh, my girlfriend in high school tried to break up with me. And she said, I-, I have to break up with you. And I thought, this is what my whole world is based around. Like this girl and being in drumline, mm. marching a percussion. Like that's all my life that I hated school. Like the only thing I cared about was those two things. And for her to say that, I thought, well, why? And she said, because you're not a Christian. And I thought, what do, what do you mean I'm not a Christian? I believe in God. Yeah. I mean, I swore like a sailor. I was a judgmental bully. You know, I was had poor media choices. I was dealing with immorality. I was a thief. I was objectifying women. Like all these terrible, awful things were happening in my life. I was mm. arrogant and disrespectful. And yet I wasn't a Christian, but I thought I was. And that was the first time anyone had called me out on that. Wow. And... It, was, it wasn't enough to get me to be a Christian, but it wasn't enough to get me to start swearing less and go to church because mm. I don't want to lose the girl. Uh-huh. But I wasn't really becoming a Christian at that stage yet either. You know like, what I mean? Yes, I had friends yes. that went to this church, so I hung out and ate donuts in the youth group, but I certainly wasn't converted. Okay. And But I was never uncomfortable in a church setting. Like It okay. wasn't like I was like, Ugh, I don't want to hear about God. Like I just I did my thing, and hmm. God did his thing, and— I thought somehow we were on the same page, okay. <laughs> but we weren't. Sure. So 9-11 wakes dad up. I'm totally clueless. He starts watching television ministries like Charles Stanley, starts reading the Bible. I have no clue for like three years. Mm. Haven't the foggiest. Not talking about God, not praying together. Looking back, I saw that dad was finding the beauty and innocence and small children and, and little things that I could tell that were things that were moving his heart. Mm. And I just thought dad was kind of being weird at times. I didn't fully understand what was happening at that stage. Yes. But that's what it was, that God was actually working in dad's life mm. and awakening him to what really matters. So... Um, Anyway, drumline is my passion, so I'm, I'm pursuing marching percussion at a professional level. It's called Drum and Bugle Corps. Okay. Uh, there's actually a professional circuit for this called Drum Corps International, and DCI.org, I think, is the website. It's basically, they call it Marching Music's Major Leagues. It's okay. like Major League Baseball, the National mm. Basketball Association. You can march until you're 21, and then you age out at 21. And there's people from all over the world competing to be members of these teams. My team was based okay. in Dubuque, Iowa, that I was auditioning for, tried out for one of Rosemont, Illinois, which was like a world, like the, the top core in the world at that stage. I didn't mm. stand a chance. I tried out for another core that was more in like the 13th, 14th place, somewhere around there, and didn't make it the first year. Tried again my senior year of high school, didn't make it that year. And then I tried it again in 2004 in December, after I'd graduated in the spring of 2004. The third year I tried out... Um, I actually got a a contract. But before that, in the spring of 2004, going into the summer, 
I started to have an encounter with the undying love of Jesus. Uh, mm. Dad started showing me love in a way that I'd never experienced before. And it wasn't because he didn't love me before, but my love languages are quality time and physical touch. And not really having much of a mother figure, like we hung out and stuff, but any time that mom was would, would give me physical touch or other things, I just felt like she was using me to feel normal mm. um, because her life is just a mess. Yes. So I just felt that she was being, even as a young child, I could tell that mom was using me to feel normal. So I kind of rejected that. So I've been kind of deprived of the things that my heart longs for. Mm. And my dad can't fully give me the things that only a mom can give. Uh, let alone the fact that his relationship was with his own mother didn't really have that intimacy either. So both generations weren't trained to give me what I needed. Right. And so I was running to the world and other things to kind of fill that emptiness. So my sense of worth was based upon this relationship, which eventually went south. Mm. And even when things were going well, I wasn't finding what I was looking for. I was more into her than she was into me, but she liked the attention she was getting out of me. And drumline, I was finding success in it. But I wasn't fully finding what I was looking for, so I just thought I needed to try harder and do better right. to fill that hole, you know. And I don't even fully know I have a hole, really. I just know that I need to work harder and, and whatever. Yes. So Dad is showing me love that I've never experienced before. And, and when I tell my testimony, I usually entitle it Surprised by Love. Mm. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book about his conversion experience called Surprised by Joy. And so I entitle mine Surprised by Love. That's the yes. only thing that would have reached me in my condition. For okay. sure. Mm. And so that's what started my process. He encourages me to start watching TV ministries, so I do as well. But I'm wrestling because the call of God is coming into my life, but my dreams are so consuming to me that when I got that contract, there were eight spots that, you know, at least 100 people were applying for, you know, were auditioning for mm. from all over the world for this particular core. Um and I get the contract, and as we're driving home, it's just this awful weather. There's just this this heavy sense of darkness the whole ride home. Mm. And that's the only time Dad ever went with me to an audition. And he just knew God was making it clear this is not what God wants for me. Yeah. But just imagine if your whole sense of worth is tied into pursuing this dream, mm. and it's finally yours— and then God's calling on your heart, and there's a lot of uncertainty as to what that looks like. I certainly am not going to go into ministry because I'm an introvert. I don't want that. Like, sure. I want to be a world-class famous musician and perform in front of thousands of people, but I don't want to stand in front of a church and preach. Like, that's the farthest thought from my mind that I'm going to be in ministry. Like, yes. absolutely never okay. an option. Like, if you went to a class reunion for my high school right now and talked to people who knew me, no one would believe you if you told them what I'm doing right now. So right. Not not a single one. Like mm. maybe people were optimistic about me in that sense, but like mm -mm, no one would have guessed that. I wasn't a total scumbag. I mean, I was pretty pretty messed up. But mm. the idea of like being in ministry and pursuing that full time whenever they knew my language and my behavior and stuff, okay. like no way. So they wouldn't recognize the the new no. you now, basically. No. Yeah. It, it, what happened to him? They would say, oh, that doesn't sound like the guy that I went to school with for sure. Is that right? So that's kind of the first chapter of my experience where I found God mm. and I had this decision to make. I'm at this these crossroads. Do I say yes to Jesus full on and go full in or do I do this? And I, I could not envision happiness without pursuing what I wanted. In so my that's dreams. what you've always wanted. Yeah. This was the culmination of everything you'd hoped for yes. in your young life. Right. And now to say yes to Jesus, it feels like you're going to walk away from everything that ever had meaning in your life. Right. And so I thought, okay. like, I, I, I can be cool with Jesus, but don't touch this. 
Yeah. Like, don't, don't, don't go there. Mm. I just thought, like, don't you care about my happiness? Like, don't you care about what matters to me? And I just, I could not envision happiness apart from pursuing this. It just wasn't possible. Sure. So I brought a Bible with me, you know, like, okay. and See thinking, if you can do both. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens in that environment. It's a, it's an environment that, that openly embraces homosexuality. It's in the okay. arts, you know, mm. and uh, a lot of vulgarity, a lot of, you know, there's, there's nudity involved in a sense of people changing clothes in front of each other of opposite genders. It doesn't okay. matter. The young people, there's some supervision, but not a lot. People are doing their thing. Our core was better than most. Mm. You know, people weren't, weren't, you know, sharing sleeping bags and doing other things, but stuff was happening on the buses and other things that just, it wasn't a good environment for me to be around. Right. And I... But when I grew up around that and was struggling with areas like that, it was, hey, great. You know, in my mind, God's pulling on my heart, but I'm not fully his yet. He's convinced me that he's what I'm looking for to some degree, mm. but I want both. I want dual citizenship. Like I, sure. can't, I can't envision Put leaving. Put in both camps. Yeah, yeah I, I can't yeah. envision leaving what I want and serving God. Like I just, that's just not an option. Mm. So I marched the first year, 2005, and um, it starts in the summer and ends in the summer. Tour all around the country. The DCI finals that year were in the, the New England Patriot Stadium. Uh, mm. So you compete in NFL stadiums, college stadiums, high school stadiums. And we, my dad, after I marched my first summer, pulls me into his room and in tears confesses to me and asks for my forgiveness for failing me as a father. And it was this strange experience for me. I, I just thought, why is my dad crying? Like, why Why is he crying? I didn't understand. Like, he was a good dad. Like, I just didn't. He, he's, he's confessing something to you that you couldn't grasp because you thought he was a good dad. Yes. And he's saying sorry for failing you. Yes. Wow. And it was because he had failed me as a father spiritually. Uh-huh. Now, he could not give what he himself did not receive. Of course not. But... In his encounter with God, he came to realize that he had an accountability to God spiritually from the get-go, mm. raising his child, and he had failed me in that way. Mm. And so it was so important to him that he not—because he'd been gone for so long as far as working—he wasn't working until midnight. He came home after work. Like, there's lots of stuff he could have done socially, and he, he wouldn't because he wanted to be there for me. But he went all in, like he left his job and he went full in to being as there as possible for me mm. to try to make up for how he hadn't been there. Right. And so that's what he did. And um, that eventually led to financial hardship for us. But he, my dad was so tenaciously committed to my conversion. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Mm. And I learned in that that souls matter to God. And when you mess up, you take responsibility. I learned what a man looked like in that moment in that bedroom. I didn't fully appreciate it then, but I know now that the role of a man is to take responsibility. You don't run from things when you cause problems or don't do what you should do. You face it head on Mm. and that you give everything you've got to make it right. And so that example was very important to me going into ministry and when I eventually, you know, become a grown-up and get married and stuff and have kids, like yeah. that's that's the way that I need to live my life. And so I learned a lot from him mm. later, uh, but it certainly was a life course-altering event for me, for sure. Wow. I marched two more years, was a drum major the second year, and then was the head drum major the third year. In the off-season, I'm working retail. I didn't go to college. I just didn't want to. I just didn't feel that burden to do so. I hated school growing up. Okay. My family, not my parents, but the rest of my family made me feel like an idiot for not going to college, that I'm not going to be worth anything, that I'm right. not going to—and that hurt me for mm. sure. 
that mm. hurt me. That's not the track that God takes everybody on, and we shouldn't pressure people in that way. Sure. God can provide for his people in a multitude of ways. Mm. And and for a lot of people, it's college, but for some, it's not. Yes. And that's not a prerequisite to the kingdom of heaven or no, success not. in life. Mm. But that was the pressure that I got, and that was the impression I got from my families that I won't be worth anything. And so that's a lot of – it hurt me for sure. But my dad supported me wherever God was leading. My mom supported me or whatever. So I, I'm grateful that my parents didn't give me that picture. Okay, it was good. just the rest of the family. Mm. But anyway, I was working retail uh, in two different jobs and then was uh, teaching the drum line at my old high school in the off season. That's what I did. That's what I loved. Mm. And the last year I marched, we got 13th place the first two years that I marched, which is DCI finals is 12th. It's the top 12. Right. We just missed it the first two years. The third year, we got 10th place. And uh, the Rose Bowl in in Pasadena, California, beautiful location is where finals was that year. And so I aged out on top in my mind. And my students had an undefeated season right after that. So success, and I'd just been promoted to management and retail. So success is creeping into my experience. And I think I've got it figured out. I'm worth something. And I'll try to follow God. Mm. Well, after the second year that I marched, Daddy encouraged me to start watching 3ABN. I lived 20, I lived about 30 minutes from 3ABN for 21 years yes. and had never heard of a Seventh-day Adventist. Is that right? And I we found it on TV. Dad mm. started watching it and encouraged me because we got rid of satellite to save money on our expenses because mm. Dad wasn't working and I was just working retail. And... Um, so we just had over-the-air broadcast. This is before the, they mandated that everyone switch to digital. Okay. And... I the first thing I saw was Doug Batchelor's most amazing prophecy series. He was just here this weekend for a camp meeting, and uh, I remember thinking to myself that I've never heard that before, but that's what the Bible says. So I'd been going to a Baptist church for a series of years now, mm-hmm. but it, I never really had like a church family. I was just there, yeah. and I wasn't doctrinally grounded because I didn't grow up with that. So it was to my benefit really to not hearing about Adventism because I had no prejudice, sure. right? I had no no previous doctrinal background, really. And I remember thinking to myself, I've never heard that before, but that's what the Bible says. Mm. And then from there, I started watching David Ashrick's Discover Prophecy series. And then I found every David Ashrick sermon I could find on the internet. You know, I just was listening and listening and listening. So this next phase of my life, uh, a year later, after I aged out of drum corps, dad talks to me and says, buddy, it's either true or it's not regarding the Sabbath. What are you going to do? And he was just trying to encourage me, you know, that we can't hear these things and not do anything about it. Sure. And well, now I'm in a pickle because my drum line, Friday night football games, Saturday field shows, and I'm working management and retail. And this is right around Thanksgiving, which in America, this is like Black Friday. This is the biggest shopping season from then all the way until the end of the year. It's a big deal. Mm. This is in 2007. And I got a decision I need to make, but I realized that I need to stand for Jesus. So I told my employer I can't work on Sabbaths, and I told uh, I ended up dragging my feet uh, with the drum line, but I ended up dragging my feet and, and going on for another few months until the season started because we had off-season practice, and that okay. wasn't on weekends. Yeah. Eventually left in August of 2008. And my retailer employment certainly wasn't happy about this. But they accommodated to some degree, but there were some Sabbaths I had to work. And I thought, well, you know, God will understand. Like, I'm doing it most of the time. And God eventually convicted me, like, this is an all or nothing thing. Sure. And so in August of 2008, I left. But before that happened, um, in the spring of 2008, I get a phone call while I'm at this retail establishment. It's like an athletic apparel company and footwear company. 
And the voice on the phone is familiar. And I said, you'll have to forgive me. They're wanting to order some North Face jackets. So you'll have to forgive me, but your name wouldn't happen to be John Lomacane, would it? And he said, yeah. So I, I, I've seen you on TV. I love it when you sing. And so he comes in this store, and I'm jazzed, right? Like, I, yeah. you know, all my friends think I'm crazy, but the dead are really dead, and the, the, the papacy is the seat of the Antichrist, the Sabbath is the Sabbath, and hell isn't happening right now, and they think I'm crazy, but I don't think I'm crazy. Do you think I'm crazy? Yeah. And he's, he's got this smirk on his face of, like, got him, you know? Like, he can just tell this is low-hanging fruit. There's a young person, which yeah. is like a unicorn in Adventism, you know? Like a, mm. a young person excited for the message that's not an Adventist yet. And so he goes out to his car and gives me a couple books— and invites me to the church. Some time goes by, and in that summer, I, I show up to the church. And uh, the church secretary brought me up to the Sabbath school class, the New Believers class. And Angie, his wife, is there with him. And she says, you can you can come sit with me, because I don't know a thing about an Adventist church. Like, I've never right. set foot in one of these places. I don't know what they do. Is it kind of like what my, you know, it's, it, like it is at my cousin's Catholic church? Like, I stand some, I sit some, and I just, I'll just watch them and see what they do. Right. And it was very familiar to my Baptist church upbringing. Like, it wasn't foreign. There's nothing crazy mm. that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kneel when they pray. It was one of the main differences, but, you know, songs were fine and, you know, traditional service and no problem. But anyway, she says, you can sit with me. And she introduced me to everybody. And I, I never experienced this in a church. Mm. Like I've, I grew up in it. It was like a meat locker, basically. Like there was a, a, a very friendly family that would pick me up for church and bring me at the Sunday church, but I didn't have a church family. Okay. And so to have someone invite you over for lunch or anything like that is so foreign to me. Like people just don't do that is what yeah. I think. And... So Angie invites me to sit with her. She introduces me to everybody. And John brings me up front and says, this young man is going to do evangelism in Carbondale. And I thought, this man is out of his mind. Right. He makes that statement He said that to everybody in the front of the church. And I thought, first of all, and I'm an introvert, so I don't want to be in front of people, first of all. And because I'm an introvert, I'm not a preacher. You're crazy. I'm not an evangelist. (laughs) And I hate Carbondale. That's Mm. a competing town. Okay. I grew up in Marion. It's like a rival town. Mm. I don't like that place. It's got a heavy Chicago influence, so they're not as friendly, and I'm, I'm more from a Southern influence. And I mean, it's it's a civilized community. It's not you know like just a bunch of tractors and, and sure. hay fields, but yeah. still, it was not my my environment. And so I thought he said the wrong town, and I'm not an evangelist. Three years later, mm. I'm the personal ministries coordinator for the Carbondale Seventh Day Adventist Church. Incredible. He had no idea that what he said was prophetic in that yeah. sense. I'm not claiming that John Loma King's a prophet, but just <laughs> what sure? he yeah. said came from God. Mm. And so anyway, I I leave my employment in August of 2008. It gets difficult financially. Take care of an elderly gentleman I met in church. And through serving him, I realized that this is what life is about. And that's when I made the full surrender. Mm. Spent a lot of time with God in nature and was taking care of this elderly gentleman. And I realized that it's not about me. I need to be serving other people. I tried to go to Rise in 2008. God closed the door, gave me the same no he gave me whenever I tried to do to March Drum Corps the first year. Hmm. Awful weather the whole ride home. And I thought, Lord, like I, I would love to study. And David gets me, you know, like I'd love to study under this guy and learn how to do ministry. I'm, I'm more convinced now than I was before that God had called me to ministry. And I just, I was really bummed about it. But if God says, no, I'm not going to make the same mistake. Okay. Not that Arise was sin or it's a bad school. It was just, God said, no, I can't do it. So I tried AFCO. That didn't work. I tried Weimar. That didn't work. And I was actually going to study media. I just remembered this a couple mm, months mm. ago. I was going to study media at Weimar. And then, and I was looking for a way to do AFCO and study media. Now I run a ministry that is 
film school and evangelism together. Yeah, you got yeah both. The idea was right. The timing was wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, just cool how that came full circle. Yeah. So in the spring, uh, my elderly friend dies, and I look into opportunities for service. They have something in America called the Peace Corps. Yes. They also have something called AmeriCorps, which is like the domestic Peace Corps. So you're doing work in the States. Mm. And it's typically ministering to people who have issues with poverty. Uh, they wouldn't call it ministry, obviously, because it's governmental work, but, yes. you know, administering, you know, help to them. So I worked in public safety and emergency management, um, doing disaster response and that type of thing. So I got a lot of certifications in that. Uh, and I attended a church there. And I drove by this sign. My office was in the Red Cross, but I worked for the county government in emergency management. And I remember driving by this sign that said, I thought Baptist Church turn right. Saw that for like three days. And I thought, I wonder where the Adventist church is in this place. I'm not an Adventist. I've not been baptized. I still got some questions, you know, like I'm, what I see on TV is true, but I see no young people. And I'm just wondering, like, I don't know, like when I, when I envision what the remnant should look like, I kind of had this like David's mighty men mentality in my okay, mind, you know, yes. like I'm, I'm looking for the Navy SEALs who nobody has problems. Everyone's got it figured out. And I just, I, I hadn't fully found what I was looking for yet. I mean, I couldn't, it was a long drive to come to the church in Thompsonville and I just was still wrestling. I had a lot of questions that weren't being answered yet. It's, I didn't think Ellen White was a prophet and just was kind of wrestling with a lot of stuff. Sure. I was close, you know, like I feel like what you're saying is true, but I need, I need some answers. Mm. And so anyway, I go to this, that like on Friday of that week, I drive by that same sign and it says Seventh-day Adventist Church and it's within walking distance of my house. Hmm. So I go to the church that Sabbath, and it's a testimony Sabbath. What you and I were talking about, that they yeah. should just expect a sermon every week. It's a testimony Sabbath, and I had mm. a powerful experience in my AmeriCorps training just before that um, of ministering to a guy that was my roommate. And so I, God convicts me, go up there and tell the story of what happened. They just said, does anyone else have a story? And I thought, absolutely not, because I'm an introvert. I don't want to be in front of people, and I can already tell I'm going to cry. These people don't know me from Adam. I don't want to cry in front of strangers. Sure. And I, I wouldn't do it, but mm. Jesus just kept wrestling with me. I went downstairs, put water on my face, and just thought, God, please don't make me do this. Mm. And they kept saying, is there anyone else? And I knew they were going to close the service soon. I was like, ah, fine. And so I go up there, and I said, none of you people know me. My name's Dee. And I told them the story, and I did cry, and I sit down. And the pastor comes up to me after the service, and he invites me over to his house for lunch. Mm. And people who grow up in Adventism think, yeah, big deal. Yeah. Well, for me, it's a huge deal. This has never happened in my life that someone's inviting me to their house for lunch and it's the pastor. Yeah. Like pastors are busy people. Like, why are you doing this for me? Right. And he invites me over to his house and he's Romanian. His wife makes this booming Romanian bread and he sets these like hot dog looking things out in front of me. And I remember thinking, I take a bite, and I remember thinking to myself, I have no idea what that thing is, but that's definitely not a hot dog. <laughs> and okay. it was awful. And in my mind, I'm thinking that it's some form of veggie dog that I've not had since, and it's still awful. Okay. It could have been the beloved Big Frank. Okay. But in my yeah. mind's eye, I'm hoping it's something that I never, maybe I just got used to it. I don't know. Mm. But uh, anyway, he became a friend, and uh, that church, a year later, my term is ending and I'm weighing out what to do whenever I leave after this 12-month term. And my boss had offered me a 50% pay raise to stay. He literally asked me, what's it going to cost to keep you? Mm. And I thought, I'm sorry, what's that? And Because I'm being paid at the poverty level, you know, right. and uh, being paid by the federal government. And he's like, well, seriously, like, give me a number. 
And I said, well, the most I've ever made is X and, you know, working in retail. And he said, so if I got that, you'd stay. And I was like, whoa, uh, yeah, maybe. And so he, he gets a grant, he gets the money and says, will you stay? And I said, yes. And mm. then God convicted me a few weeks later, I'd made the wrong decision. I shouldn't stay. Wow. And so unlike Luther, I recanted. And um, now what do I do? Well, I go to 3B in camp meeting in 2010, and I see Angie. I'm sitting in the back of the room. It was seven years ago. This weekend was 3B in camp meeting. I was here, and I was just reminiscing over this, that seven years ago an event happened that radically changed my life. Right. Um, I'm sitting in the back because I don't want to be on TV. I don't want to look over anyone's head. And Angie comes up to me. She gives me a big hug and says, it's so good to see you. Where are you now? I give her an update. And she says, hey, David Ashrick's here because I'm a young person. She thinks I'll like him. Hmm. And I said, yeah, I know. He's speaking next. And she says, he's speaking next. I said, yeah. Well, what are you doing sitting back here? And it's like, oh, I don't want to be on TV and don't have to look over anyone's head. And she says, you need to sit up front. It's like, no, I don't want to go up there. And she's like, no, 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 come, let's sit up front. And it's like, nah, I don't really want to. And she says, no, come with me. Let's go up front. So she brings me up front, and they're they're about to film, so they're filling all the seats. This seat shouldn't even be open right now. Right. There's one open seat, and she says, is anyone sitting here? Good, sit down. She didn't even wait for an answer. <laughs> she has me sit, and David comes out, and in the middle of the sermon, it's a sermon called The Friend of God hmm. that he did at 3B in camp meeting. He points to the front row and says, look at a lot of these people in the front row. There's a lot of different people, a lot of different people. And he points at me and says, what's your name? And I just kind of freeze. I was like, uh, D? And he says, D? So, yeah, D. D. Yeah. Okay. What's your name? Joan? Okay. D and Joan. And he starts using my name and her name as his illustration in his sermon. Yeah. And then at the end, he says, now, does God do what we do? You know, I love D, but I don't really like him. And then he asked the question, you know, yes, God loves us, but but does he like us? Mm. And here I am thinking like, I was supposed to be sitting in the back (laughs) and this guy that's like the biggest Adventist preacher I look up to, he's just called my name out in the middle of a sermon like, what's this about? Mm. So I go and talk to him at lunch. I was like, hey, that was cool. Look, man, I want to get into ministry. I got a lot of questions. I'd sent him an email a year earlier asking a a whole lot of questions because I'm just trying to make sense of this thing. And he he says, well, you know, I do have a school called Arise. I was like, how do I tell David that God told me not to go to his school? Mm. And so I just, oh, okay, well, we'll just see. And... So anyway, I talked to him and I asked him if we could talk about ministry and he's like, yeah, let's see what we can do. And it just didn't work out. But I meet someone there. The guy ends up being the co-founder of Unseen Media Group a year later, the ministry I now work for. Yes. Never thought that would happen. But ends up becoming a friend and accountability partner. And we sit on, there's a railroad tie that's kind of like a a, a landscaping border just outside of the 3B Worship Center on the backside of the entrance. So he and I just sat down there and we're talking. And for the first time in my life, I could talk about some of the stuff I had struggled with from my childhood, Mm. from the stuff that happened with mom, you know. And it was just, it was very healing for me to have community. But he talked about how he went to Arise in 2008. That's the year I tried to go and God said no. And so I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And and Arise was starting to do uh, DVDs of their training program. Maybe I could do that. And he gave me David's book for free and that he had written called God in Pain. And so I start praying, and but just God had said no, so it's not an option. It's kind of more hurtful to me because I hear how awesome it was, and I can't go. Yeah. Well, I get home, I buy Dad a New King James Bible for his birthday or for Father's Day, and uh, it's the, the Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible. And so he, I got one for him, I got one for me, and got him a Strong's Concordance. Now, reading through the Bible, and I get to this passage in Luke. 
um, where there's this funeral procession and this woman is, is grieving over the death of her only son. She's yes. a widow. Mm. And Jesus has compassion on the woman. He goes to the casket and, and it says he was moved with compassion. He touches the casket and says, young man, I say to you, arise. Mm. And it was like a lightning bolt just struck through my whole body. And I was super convicted that God was telling me to go to arise. It wasn't just because I read the word. Like there was conviction that followed. Right. And the NIV that I've been reading out of didn't say it this way. Mm. So I go out in the, in, the, in the living room. I was like, Dad, look what happened. And he says, buddy, God told us not to go. I don't know what else to tell you. Mm. And he did what he should do. He was clinging to what, the, what God had said. Yes. What God began to do at this stage was to begin to break my dependence upon my dad spiritually because everything that dad would share with me always proved right. Mm. So he was kind of what I went to to find out what God wanted in my life. God wanted me to have a relationship with him for myself. God doesn't have grandchildren. God has children. So he was wanting to open up those Uh. lines of communication just between me and him. Mm. But it caused some tension between dad and I because he didn't want me to, to, you know, avoid the will of God again. Yes. Now, granted, it's better to do a rise than it is to do drum corps, but still, he's wrestling with this, and our family mm. had a big need at that stage. There's another passage that happens later uh, in Acts, I think, 22. It says, "Arise, and now why are you waiting? Or and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized." And I had been baptized with Dad on Good Friday in 2007, but my heart wasn't ready yet. Okay. And we'd both talked about the fact that rebaptism was something that was, you know, something I should think about. So I'm wrestling because I don't have the money to go to Arise. I'm freaking out about this. And what ends up happening is I had this dream, and I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I had this dream. You ever have a dream where, like, you're in a location, but it doesn't look like that location? Like, you're dreaming that you're in your house, but it doesn't look like your house? Yes, I've had one of those. So yeah. thank you for, for making me not feel crazy. <laughs> um, so I, I have a dream that I'm at Arise. I'm in a classroom setting, but it doesn't look like a classroom. And of all things, it's my grandmother's, like, dinette area. Mm. I don't know. I didn't ask for it. It just happened. But David's there. And what ends up happening, incidentally, is I sold my TV to that grandmother uh, to have food money while I was at a rise. Mm. But I have a dream about this. And I think, you know, I think that God is really saying something. So I talked to my pastor. I was like, hey, I'm not an Adventist yet. I haven't been baptized. Still got questions. But I said, hey, you know, God, is this, is this how God works? And some of the stuff I was starting to see. And he says, you know, it could be, he brings it before the church. The church raises some money, but not near what they, it's a small church. I need 4,500 for a rise. That's a lot of money. Yes. Plus a plane ticket, plus food money. I just, just, just a lot. And so some time goes by and I, I literally started buying lottery tickets. Now I'm a rookie at this stage. Like I don't know any better as far as lottery tickets aren't something that God would endorse. But I thought, look, I just need $5,000 and I'll pay a $500 tithe. Like I'm not, I'll even tithe on it. You know, I'm just going to buy scratch off tickets or whatever. And I'll let you guess whether I won the lottery or not. Okay. <laughs> I didn't. Yes. Um, but I, I'm just desperate. I'm so freaked out about money because I feel that God is leading, but dad's not seeing it. I don't have the money. So I look like a crazy person. So I send an application by faith. Mm. Well, the problem is I get accepted. So now I have to pay for this thing. Oh. And, uh, you know, you should be excited. And, you know, Angie asked me this when I told it on on Crossroads, you know, it, weren't you excited? I was like, yeah, I guess. But where am I going to come up with $5,000? Mm. Like, I just didn't have time to fully appreciate what God had done because I, I need to fix my problems. Yes. I, I need to make this happen. <laughs> Not rest in God's faithfulness. Uh-huh. I didn't know any better. So anyway, I ended up having another dream very close to move-in date. I had to give up my spot. I went back because they had a waiting list and you had to have half the money by a certain date. 
I didn't have it. So I called him and said, hey, I really want to go, but I don't have the money. I'm sorry, but I really want to go. I just can't. Hmm. And I called him a day later. I was like, and just so you know, I really want to go, but I just can't. Sure. And I tried to go in 2008 and met with the administrator. And so he remembered me from 2008 because okay. of that. So anyway, I, it's just not looking good. I go to visit my family. There's a need, there's a need there. One of my family members has cancer, uh, and Dad says, "Look, our family needs this man. Like you can't can't just bail on the family." And I really now, what do I do? I'm just really wrestling with this. And my pastor says, "You know, if God's leading, God can provide." But well, how? Like lottery tickets aren't working. Like where's mm. this money going to come from? <laughs> church doesn't have the money, so. The church had raised a little bit more money, still not enough. And so I, I have another dream. And this time I'm in a classroom setting and it looks like a classroom setting. And David is like 20 feet away from me. And he and another guy are looking at each other and I'm to the wing, you know, like okay. 90 degrees to their side. Yes. And as I'm watching them, the guy points to me, doesn't look at me and says, how did he get here? And he says, I took care of it. And the dream was over. Hmm. David says, I took care of yes, it, okay. and the dream was over. And I just realized, like, I'm going to have to be crazy. Somehow God's going to take care of this, and it's going to happen. Well, I end up fasting. It Move in is on a Monday. I fast from Thursday night to Friday night to Saturday night to Sunday. Now, I've never done this before, but I'm going to fast for three days wow. because I don't know what else to do. Mm. And I'm just going to pray my guts out. You say this is supposed to work, then you got to do something. And I don't know how else to, to urge you to do something other than fasting. And I'm not a bit, th- I'm a thin guy, you know? Right. And so I do for three days and three nights. And at the end of my fast, I just wrestle with Jesus and say, God, I need you to do something. I didn't go to church that Sabbath. I just stayed home and prayed. My pastor texts me Sunday night and says, hey, can you come meet me in the morning at the church? I said, sure. I'm bummed because I feel like it just the whole thing crashed. I'm a loser. I was yes. wrong yeah. because I have no track record with my dad of showing that God is speaking to me individually. Like mm-hmm. I don't have that track record. The thing I thought that God would have me do, the things I thought God would have me do never proved out. And the things that dad thought that God was leading me to did. So I got no resume and here I am chasing something again. And he just, he doesn't want me to be discouraged. He doesn't want me to get all this money tied up and stuff that we can't do. And so anyway, what I didn't know is at the end of that prayer, within 20 minutes of that, that night, the administrator from Arise emailed my pastor and said, hey, we came up with another $500. Is How close are you for D? Mm. Now, why are they even considering me? They had yeah. a waiting list. I thought it was a done deal. Mm. But anyway, they want to know. So my pastor and some... What ends up happening is my pastor meets with me the next day. A church member gave their entire social security check and another $500 from Arise, and the church had raised a little bit more money. We're $1,000 short. And so my pastor says, let's talk to the administrator and see if they're willing to give you a scholarship. or Not a scholarship, but see if they'd be willing to accept you if the church pledges to pay it off by the time you graduate. Right. Okay. So uh, the administrator says, we don't do that, but for D, we're going to make an exception. You know why? Because I tried to go in 2008 and couldn't. I felt that God was leading then. Yes. And he was for me to try, but the timing and the location were wrong. Mm. And I still met Ben later. That still worked out as far as the guy I met at 3VN camp meeting. And so anyway, they accept me. A week later, I'm at a rise. My pastor pays for the plane ticket out of his own pocket and gets me there. Mm. And I sold the TV to my grandma, had that for food money. And it was the best experience I'd ever had in my life. Wow. It it. It showed me that God could use me in ministry. I saw miracles and how God provided to get there. 
And when I gave a devotional thought, I told the testimony of what I had wrestled with in my life, and God spoke with power. People were crying. It was just, uh, I, I didn't know God could use me. Hmm. And then when I did my sermon at the end of it, and my outreach went well, the Bible studies went well, and all the staff are saying nice things about me. And the uh, David, I, I ended up doing my sermon in front of David at the end. And just imagine, you know, this guy who's looked up to David my whole life. I'm yes. super nervous. I did my sermon on Timothy because the text that God gave me that he was calling me into ministry was 2 Timothy 4, 5 in the NIV. It says, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge the duties of your ministry. Mm. And... That's what happened. Dad and I went through a lot of financial hardship and difficulty. Our house was foreclosed. A car was repoed. Lots of hardship. But do the work of an evangelist and discharge the duties of your ministry. Yes. And, and, and keep your head in all situations. And that's what God did. So I preached the sermon. It has to be 10 minutes or less. If you go over 10 minutes, they just stop you. It doesn't matter if you're praying or anything else. I've never preached a sermon before. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. So I wrestle with God. He gives me what to say. I feel. I preach the sermon at the end. David literally says, I have nothing negative to say about that. Wow. And people would think like, man, I bet you were pretty excited about that. I was angry. Because I thought, I have no idea what I'm doing, man. Like, <laughs> So you want some feedback. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the words that came out of my mouth literally were, well, I'm not very good looking. There's bound to be something you can say. And uh, I don't remember what he said in an immediate response to that. But his point was, I, I, I thought it was great. Mm. And Excellent. I don't know what I'm doing. So anyway, here I am. My head barely fit on the airplane. I'm so full of pride at the end of a rise because I'm getting all these compliments. Uh Remember, all I wanted in the world was to be this famous musician. Well, now what do you do when you're starting to get praise in ministry? Right. So what ended up happening was uh, dad just wasn't able to get on his feet financially. He ended up having to go to a homeless shelter, and I joined him there after a rise. I literally got off the plane at a rise, mm. certificate of excellence in hand, and went to a homeless shelter in downtown St. Louis and eventually to a satellite location uh, that they have out in the country uh, near Kansas City or no, near Jefferson City. Okay. And my responsibility there was literally to feed sheep bread. I got the Moses treatment, really? and it's just spiritual parallels to the max. Yeah. Like, I'm feeding sheep bread. Mm. I don't think I was saved to be given to humans yet, so God gave me, um, God gave me, you know, basically uh, the animal treatment, you know, animal testing. Yeah. And from there, uh, God opened doors for me to get into ministry. I worked in, in public service uh, doing disaster preparedness stuff, and um, that led to me uh, working at a place in 2011, and I was the personal ministries person. And I was baptized at Arise, December 4th, 2010, so that's a second, week before graduation. Baptism now. That was my second baptism, yes. but really my first real baptism. I understand. And I became a Seventh-day Adventist. I realized uh, Mark Howard had a class in the Spirit of Prophecy that answered my questions. Mm. The church was amazing. Nathan Renner was a great pastor. And that, that was it. And there were like 50 young people on fire for Jesus. I literally cried in the first worship service mm. when they sang because all these people are singing with energy. They mm. can sing well. The people are p- playing piano well. And the Spirit of God was there. I just cried. Mm. Just cried. It was the first Spirit-filled worship service I'd ever experienced in my life. Wow. And had an amazing time, made friends for, that I'll have for the rest of my life. And so I worked in that ministry for about a year. Then I got a call to work at an academy, a Seventh-day Adventist academy. A church supporting school, Heritage Academy. And right before I went there, I taught um, 
David came to visit me. He did a series on the Holy Spirit at 3 a.m. Mm. It's like 45 minutes from where I'm working. So he came to visit me and was like, hey, let's talk about what you're doing. And I want to hear your story as far as what's happened since you've left. And um, so I told him what we're doing. And my boss asked him, she said, would you be willing to have us teach a class on this at Arise? And he's like, yeah, this guy could teach it. And so we went to go visit him the next day at 3 a.m. And she mm. says, did you mean that? Like, would you really do that? He says, yeah, write a curriculum. We'll see. So I wrote it on Christian service and uh, particularly intercultural outreach, multicultural outreach. Mm. And because um, that's what we were doing as a minister. We had interpreters. Yes. So that's what I do. Uh, I send the thing. They approve it. So I go to teach at Arise. Now, I kind of feel bad because I still owe them 600 bucks. Okay. What happened was the pastor who was so helpful to me. God gave him a new district. They moved him from one part of Illinois to to Southern Illinois, where my family is. Right. The very district where my family is, that's where he got moved. It's a bigger district. It's better for his family. So God blessed him for believing in me. Mm. And it actually, he paid for my plane ticket to get home, too. I couldn't even afford to fly home. I mean, I went to a homeless shelter, for goodness sakes, you know. And... So I ended up working one of his churches, working with him in ministry, which is awesome. That would have and been, yeah. what a blessing he was to me. So I, I teach at this Arise class, um, and I felt bad because the church, they didn't have enough money to pay it off, and the pastor isn't there anymore, and I'm not there anymore, so why should mm. they pay it? So I still owe Arise 600 bucks, but I was homeless for a long time, didn't make a lot of money the next year, and wasn't making a lot of money at Heritage either, but I do what I can. Mm. Mm. Uh, they provided for my needs, but just to make a lot to pay down my debts, I wasn't quite there yet. So what ends up happening is I, I feel bad, but I Google it and get I send the rate to the plane ticket and stuff to the administrator. The plane ticket is going to be 700 bucks, and I owe them 600. I fly out there. I teach. It was an amazing experience. People were repenting, and uh, two kids like actually like were repenting. And in a rise class, I just thought like, what is what is this? Like mm. I was just teaching on the topic, but. God spoke to them, and God was showing me that this is the beginning of what things are going to be in ministry going forward. Mm, and a very similar experience happened, actually, a few years later, our Light Bears Convocation when I ran the youth meetings, but I won't have time to go into that story. But um, So what ends up taking place is I teach the class, I get to the airport on Thursday, and I try to check in there, and they said, we're sorry, we overbooked the flight, and uh, but we're... Go to the computer kiosk thing here because we can't check you in on our actual system, but the kiosk doesn't know any better. We'll print you a boarding pass. Someone will give up your seat. No problem. Yes. It's from Eugene, Oregon. Lightbearers partnered with Arise since I had left. Mm. So now it's at Lightbearers. So I take a plane. It's supposed to go down to San Francisco, and then there's one site from San Francisco flight left uh, that happens once a day from San Francisco to St. Louis mm. with this airline. And so I get to the airport. They say you'll you'll be fine. But if if it doesn't work out, here's this yellow slip of paper of how we make it right. I don't think anything of it because they say I'll get on the plane. Yes. Every single person gets on that plane. No one gives up their seat. And so I say, well, now what do I do? And they say, well, we got to make it right. So they're going to refund my ticket. And I thought, praise God, Arise didn't have to, to spend money, you know, for me to come. Yes. But they said, we also had to make it right based upon the inconvenience of your next flight. Okay. And um, I don't know what that means. So, so we need to go find someone to sign the check. And when I was telling the story to Angie, she says, whoa, 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 whoa. This doesn't happen. It's like, what do you mean? Yeah. I don't fly a lot. And mm. what ends up happening is because I'm going to miss my next flight, I had to fly the next day. So they had to give me the maximum of compensation, right. which is, I think, $600. Mm. And the ticket was $700. Yeah. So they're going to write me a check for $1,300. And... I thought, 
okay, I didn't think much of it. And then God spoke to me in that moment and says, do you realize what I just did? He says, well, yeah, you paid him back for the plane ticket. Thanks. He's like, no, 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 no. What's 700 plus 600? $1,300. I owed a rise $600. The plane ticket was $700. And he says, I just paid off your tuition. Wow. And I thought, God, you're so wonderful. Like, I didn't realize. And Angie blew a gasket. She's like, you don't understand. Like, they don't do that. They don't write you checks. They give you a voucher. They give you a credit. That's right. They don't write you checks for cash money. They did. Mm, Incredible. And God used that to pay off. I gave all that money to Arise, and it paid for my tuition. And ever since then, um, God has opened doors for me to do ministry all over the country. And I've been on 3BN doing ministry. I have stuff on Audioverse and other places. And God has opened these doors. We've been to like 20 academies. We're creating content to reach young people. And God has just blown this ministry up Mm. way more than I ever imagined. I left Heritage in 2015 to come work for Unseen Media Group in August of 2015. And... I literally was in tears when I saw what God was about to do. I was afraid. I felt like I was unready, uh, that I couldn't handle what God was opening as far as all these doors. Mm. And yet God has been so faithful. I just try to stay out of the way, to stay humble. And I'm seeing the gospel radically change people's lives all over the country. Wow, the um, power of the gospel. Wonderful. Through, through what, what he's brought into my life. So I'm just telling the story of what God's done in my life. And because I was given such a gospel-heavy emphasis when I came into Adventism— I didn't have to deal with a lot of the heavy-handed legalism that some people have had to deal with, which has sure. been helpful for me. Yes. That I, I believe in the principles of Adventism and the reforms of Adventism and the gospel. It's not either or. Yes. And to have that balanced education coming in was so wonderful for me, and I'm just trying to inspire others to do the same. Praise God. Look, that is such a powerful testimony. But just in the last few moments that we have, if people want to know a little bit more about Unseen in your ministry, do you want to just give us a, just another synopsis, a little snapshot of that, and also if they want to find out more information sure. or they want to support your ministry, because I believe it's a faith-based ministry. Yes, it is. Can you just give them some access, some uh, URLs, some sure. uh, you know, access to your, your programs? So our website is unseen, U-N-S-C-E-N-E dot yeah. me, unseen dot me. So it's unseen like movie me. scene, but with un in front of it. Right. Okay. Unseen dot me. Uh, you can just type my name on YouTube. I have sermons and stuff there. I'm on Audioverse if people want to find messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, our ministry, we do week of prayers. We speak in schools. We speak at different places if people have an interest in that. Uh, they can listen to the messages to see if that's what they actually want. Uh, and then we will pray about it and see where, where God leads. We have a YouTube page, Unseen Media Group, uh, spelled the same way, U-N-S-C-E-N-E. We have a YouTube page there. Uh, we're in the process of filling some hiring vacancies to start creating more content as a ministry. We've been doing more contractual work for other ministries in the last year. Sure. Uh, but we're in the process of hiring some filmmakers to create our own, to flood social media. And mm. also this coming year, uh, GYC 2017, the December of 2017, I'm doing a seminar on social media. Uh, with some media friends to actually equip people to know how to do that. So if anyone has an interest in learning that, uh, they can come out to GYC or come to our training program. It's called IDEA, the Institute for Digital Evangelism Arts. And information for that is on our website. Mm. And we also have a summer film camp for teenagers, and that's on our website as well. Okay. Praise the Lord. And you also have some social media presence. So you Yes, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, we're working under on Unseen? Yes, Unseen Media Group. Uh, we have a Facebook page group. there, and I've got a Facebook page as well. Fantastic. Well, D. Casper, thank you very much for coming in and sharing your testimony. What a powerful um, 
revelation of God's power in someone's life, you know, Amen. from where you've come from to where you are now is just a world apart. And as you're saying, different. friends who knew you in high school would not be able to recognize the person you are today. That's right. And that's just a testimony to the transforming power of God. And just listening to you, I can tell that the, the fulfillment and the purpose in your life is so much different to what you had oh, before. Yes. You know, um, you have a, a vision. God's giving you a vision. Yes. You know what he wants you to do, and you're stepping out by faith as he's leading you. Amen. And we pray that God will bless your ministry. Thank you for that. So, dear listener, thank you for joining us today on By the Word of Their Testimony. We pray that God would richly bless you, and we pray that you've been inspired by this testimony. Now, if you would like more information or you've missed out on some of those information that was shared by D regarding their website and their ministry, you're welcome to contact us. You can ring us in Australia by phoning us on 02-4973-3456, or you can send an email to radio at 3abinaustralia.org.au. Or also, you can go to our Facebook page, 3ABN Australia Radio, and you can send a message there to us as well. So please join me next time as we share more of what God has done in the lives of people just like you and me. Until then. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.